0: Welcome back to SideQuest, episode 36. Today, we have a special conversation between not only uh, the, the usual person, usual person I have a special conversation with, Mr. Wes Deschamps, but also um, our, well, you have many names, it seems like. Andy, yeah. and on the one hand, but also you have a tag by which you go, and that's how Wes first came to know you. And um, so, first off, hey, Wes, good to talk to you again. This is our second yeah. podcast of the day.
1: Yeah, this is a special one. Um, looking forward to it.
0: And so, uh, did did you want to introduce Andy and how you came to knew, know him, and then maybe we can talk about these two names he has and the di- and you know maybe the tension between the role one plays and uh, one's personal. Uh, well, we'll man, just that's,
1: that's jumping right in the deep end, but yeah. Well, so Andy, we met like five minutes ago. Um, <laughs> I uh, I got in touch with you through the well-read mage which is a really cool blog that's out there for people to check out. So just you know, search well-read mage. It's spelled like the color and you'll find it. Um, and I guess you've been on there uh, for a little while, uh, longer than I have, I think. Um, and I, uh, I threw out on their discord chat, if anyone was interested in talking about uh, role-playing games and some of the history behind it and some things like that. And you were one of the people who responded. So um, thanks again for your time to come on and, Talk to us about this stuff. Uh, do you want to just like, give us a little introduction to who you are and what you're about?
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, like you said, I've been writing over at the Well-Read Mage under the handle The Ink Stained Mage for the last couple months. Uh, love D&D. I've been running it for a couple years now. Um, for a group of mine, I'm a player in another one. Um, me and my friends have run workshops for people. We do homebrew stuff. So yeah, we, we love Dungeons and & Dragons and we're always happy to talk about it.
1: Cool. How did you, like, the first big question, I guess, for you is just, like, how did you get into that uh, role-playing, specifically Dungeons & Dragons, but maybe role-playing more generally as well?
2: Uh, Well, Dungeons & Dragons was a couple years ago. Um, You know, all those big streams are, you know, so huge nowadays, and they have so many followers. Me and a, a bunch of coworkers all started watching Critical Role, and, you know, after a few weeks of watching, we kind of all got together and went, you know, we, we, we have to play this, right. We, we have to take part in this. Um, you know, I've loved RPGs ever since I was a kid and I was playing, you know, the old video games of, um, you know, everything from Chrono Trigger and the Tales games. I, I remember I, I played Tales of Symphonia well past the point of, of reason. I had a, a binder that was, you know, two or three inches thick of walkthroughs and maps and, you know, tricks and all that kind of stuff. I, I got hooked on, on story-based games really young
0: what is it about story-based games that appealed to you more than say like a strategy-based game or a simulation-based game or a fighting game or an action adventure game?
2: I I love them all, but yeah, the story-based games, it's, you know, I I grew up in in a family that was very much about reading. Um, you know, we always had books as a kid. We were always taking to the library. We had, you know, a bookmobile come to the end of our street every couple weeks. Um, And I've just always been in love with a good story. Um, You know, my my dad gave me Dune and Lord of the Rings when I think I was like 10. Um, So to start playing games, you know, you start with Mario when you're a kid and the the story's pretty bare bones. Princess there, go save princess. You know, thank you, Mario. Um, But then when you play something that has this really deep, you know, ridiculous, wonderful story in it um, and it's not something you're just passively consuming, it's something you get to contribute to um you know and take part in and take on one of these roles uh and then you you know start playing something like Dungeons and Dragons where it's even more so and you get to you know not just run off a scriptive narrative but create your own it's it's such an incredible experience
1: that is that has been I guess our experience as well to an extent um you know playing role playing games video games that is as kids uh and now you know being very interested in them and and to an extent, obsessed about them, I suppose you could say, uh, the, to the point where we you know, talk about them at least once a week uh, and record those conversations and, you know, agonize over every detail of we're, we're playing through Final Fantasy VII right now mm-hmm. uh, and and just like looking at everything with a, a lot of care and attention. But um, what we kind of do on here a lot of times is like try to make some connections between games and stories and especially Uh, mythological story structures uh, and motifs and symbols and things like that Um, but I think what you're describing where you're you know really giving something to the story like creating something within the story is a little different than that maybe uh, or maybe not I don't know but like you kind of create your own character uh, in the in the Dungeons and Dragons world right like can you talk a little bit about how how that uh, works once you kind of got started doing that with your friends uh, your coworkers. workers um, What's what are some of the steps to that and, and how does that story building work? So with Dungeons & Dragons, you know video games will have you know
2: some sort of character customization in them and you know Newer ones will definitely have a much deeper layer, but who you are in them is generally uh, up to the game You know, I, I can spend hours creating, you know, my new character in Skyrim But at the end of the day, he's always going to be the Dragonborn um, when we started playing Dungeons and Dragons, we were very light on backstories for our characters. Um, you know, you go through and you pick a class, you pick a race, you know, what your character's going to look like, what they do. You know, do you want a spellcaster? Do you want someone who's just a bruiser? Um, do you want a bard that just messes with the entire party? Um, and I think the more we played, the more we got into... You know who our characters were and where they came from and why they were going to certain places, and the stories just got bigger uh, you know the first couple of times we played we were just kind of you know making it up as we <laughs> making it up as we went even to an extent of you know not giving ourselves a huge story behind us, just working on what was ahead and now when we play, you know everyone will come in and go, you know my character's from such and such, and he's done these great deeds and or you know he's not and it it's such you know it I don't know that a video game could ever capture quite the same amount of character creation as something like Dungeons and Dragons. Um, Because, you know, whether you're playing Skyrim or, you know, Kingdoms of Amalur, it's your character is always going to fit into a, a somewhat scripted narrative versus what you can create, you know, at a, at a tabletop RPG.
0: What's, what's interesting about that is that it seems like what you're describing is the act of creation and choosing your own destiny and, more of the nuances and sort of uh, personal details of your character's destiny and character are things that you can be more, uh, while also subjecting them to, you know, some class race sort of skills distinctions within the game. And so what that makes me wonder is, do you think that Dungeons and Dragons, A, is is so fun and enthralling precisely because it mixes the pleasure of a game with the process of artistic creation. Uh, You have more of a hand in the game and that makes you like it more. And then B, is that why you would be motivated to spend so much time and energy actually devoted to a game?
2: Yeah, definitely. And, And, you know, people go into these things for different reasons, you know, um, and I, I love the role-playing aspect of it. I love, you know, picking a weird accent for my character and, you know, the, the relationships I build with the other players at the table, you know, other people will go in as number crunchers and, you know, people who try to power game and make you know, their character the most powerful and they're really into the stats of it or other people are into the combat. Um, and especially if um, I, you know, I, I run a group, so I'm, I'm a DM, so I have to plan a lot of story stuff ahead of time knowing full well that uh my players are never going to 100% go where I want them to um so I you know I I can give them not necessarily a script but ideas of what they can do and where they can go and it it always kind of amazes me where they where they end up versus where I plan for them to go um and I, I guess it kind of depends on what you're in the mood for because there are definitely things about video game RPGs that are you know, we will always have a leg up on something like Dungeons and Dragons. They're so much more visual. They're, you know, always professionally scripted. So the moments of tension are always, you know, there and kind of have a beat to them. Whereas with Dungeons and Dragons, you can have an incredible story. Um, and, you know, a lot of the times we do, and, you know, sometimes the most incredible thing you do is go to a bar and end up picking a fight with the wrong person. And, you know, that's cool on its own, just at smaller stakes. Um, they both offer so many of the same things, but they come at it, from such different directions, um, you know they they share a lot of the same, you know, background, but they they grew into very different people. I guess I'm saying.
1: Could I ask a little about the the background that you mentioned? You read books like Dune and uh, The Lord of the Rings and Tolkien's books as a kid. Um, the background of Dungeons and Dragons, as I understand it, is that it's created um based pretty closely on the kind of world that Tolkien built in in Middle Earth and in his his Lord of the Rings books and uh and Silmarillion and, and all of that sort of stuff that's been published since. Um do you know much about that history, the the process of Dungeons and Dragons coming into existence as a as a thing, you know, and then its its developments uh over the past couple decades?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean Dungeons and Dragons was kind of born off of, you know, the old war game things. So, you know, today, I guess, I'd refer you to like Warhammer 40k and stuff like that. Um, they worked off of a, an old an old game called Chainmail for for combat and things like that. And for a while, they they just used miniatures from other games or didn't use miniatures at all. Um, and then, you know, Gary Gygax and his, you know, his crew of original players um, started building their own rules off of that. And they they definitely took inspiration from, you know, from Tolkien, from, you know, Michael Moorcock from Paul Anderson from, you know, all the the really big fantasy writers of their day. Um, you know, I think at one point, you know, the halfling character was called a hobbit and they, they were made to to change it. They were think they were given a cease and desist at some point. Um I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure I remember that. Um, you know, and as the the years went on, the rules either got more complicated or they were simplified for story uh, they broke off into regular dungeons and dragons and advanced dungeons and dragons um, and then you know every you know every couple of years every couple of decades they they updated again uh, right now my group plays in fifth edition which is newest for dungeons and dragons but you know other people will play Pathfinder which is basically d it's you know heavily influenced by the rules it uses a lot of the same rules that just you know, changes a few things around for a different play style, Um, you know, and everyone will play the version they're most into, you know, you definitely don't have to play the most updated version to still play all the old rules are, you know, still out there.
0: I I really love to hear that, especially because growing up, I definitely played Fantasy Star Online and Magic the Gathering, and many of those, I mean, I thought Fantasy Star was not a great game, but it's still very addicting. Um, But one thing I'm really interested in asking you about is, You said that what attracts you to Dungeons and Dragons is the role-playing element, is getting to put yourself in the shoes of someone else. And I want to understand a little bit more about that, while also having you speak to sort of the relationship between being a dungeon master, the person who creates and guides the game, and what it is that you do there, as opposed to somebody who just plays the game. And if you could just tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. There, you know, there's a lot of the same things that go into it. It's just a a dungeon master's role is always going to be, you know, there's going to be a lot more work behind it as, as a player. um, You know, for instance, one group I'm in now is running a Ravenloft campaign, which is basically, you know, haunted houses, vampires. um, It's all very vampire, the masquerade. And, you know, my player in it has, you know, has a tragic backstory and, you know, he's, he's a paladin who is bound by fate and, you know, his race dictates, according to the book, that he's not a fan of the undead. And, you know, the whole point of the campaign is to kill a big vampire lord. So it, you know, I you lean into that on the story and I can just go in not knowing what's going to happen at all and, you know, have fun with my friends and make stuff up and not worry too much if I don't really know what I'm doing because I know I've got other players with me or, you know, anytime we try to do something, you know, it'll either work great and, you know, my DM moves along pretty quickly or we will catastrophically ruin something and my DM has to think very quickly on his feet. Uh, We were trapped in a haunted house a couple weeks ago and it wasn't until I got home that I realized that we were looking for a secret passage and we could not for the life of us suss out where it was supposed to be. And halfway home, I realized our DM left us really obvious clues and he just must have been inwardly cursing all of our names very long been very loud um, because when you go in as a DM you know it, some people and people will attack this differently I'm sure people will give a different opinion than me some people you know try to be an adversary to their players and that's what they like and that's what they love um, other people and that's generally my group's style will to be to facilitate their story and to work with them and you know we won't tell them what's coming any more than the people in the world they interact with know um, you know, I'll have a list of, you know, NPCs they may run into or names I can make up if they go somewhere that I didn't expect. Um, You know, if I go in thinking, all right, there's, you know, there's a guardhouse and this guy's going to give them that bit of information and they never go there, but they still need that information. I have to think on my feet, you know, where they are, who else might be able to give them that so that they can still go where they want to go and still have fun um, and jumble things around. So, you know, most DMs will do a lot of prep beforehand. Um, just to make sure they have you know enough ready for their players to sit down and play for you know 2 to 5 hours at a time um, which is why it's really great that a lot of campaigns you know come in book form with most of the information there the you know the the ravenloft campaign i mentioned is one that's out of a book you can buy um, another game that we're in is entirely homebrew so the you know that's the one i DM, and that's you know a lot more work cuz i can't really reference most books and go oh i can do that um But even if I am incredibly stuck, there's, you know, amazing communities out there that put in, you know, this isn't a whole campaign, but you can download this adventure or this plot beat and put it into your own campaign if you need something. Um, So it's very much the difference of, you know, planning and plotting. And um, it's almost like being a writer versus a reader, Um, you know, enjoying the story versus making it. You know, everyone's making it on some level, but, you know, a DM will definitely put a lot of work into it and do a lot behind the scenes that the players will never see.
1: When you say it's like writing a story, do you? How much of it do you write out um, as you know, actual script or or something like that for yourself? How much do you have kind of thought through at least in your head? Um, and when you have to change and go off script, um, how how do you go about that? Like how do you do you let on that you're kind of winging it, uh, or do you try to say uh, say it in a way that it comes off as if you know, oh, this is fine, this is planned, you know, this is okay.
2: Oh, I, I, I try my very best to never break character, but you know, no one's going to improv perfectly 100% of the time. I generally have you know, a couple pages written down of new stuff every night um, that I'll keep in front of me behind my screen. Um, and then I've got my binder full of all the things I've already done. So you know, I, I know the places they've been. I know characters that they've seen before that I can bring back. And I'll have a couple pages that go, you know, you know, if they go here, I can do this. If they go here, I can do this. Um, you know the shops have these items in them or you know things of these value Um, and based on whatever decision they make I can kind of cross-reference all my charts and pick out you know what I have ready for them Um, you know one of my last campaigns the last time they left off um, they were exploring the haunted basement of an opera house Um, (laughs) and the character I had planned on them fighting um, turned out in their eyes to kind of be too much of a depressing sad sack of a character to fight like they they took pity on him and i kind of had to go well then how do i make this climactic for them um and it it totally derailed what i had in mind on that night but ever since um you know i've had to come up with different story beats for them and characters that i never thought would be you know alive at this point have taken on you know backstories and lives of their own and they've gone from, you know, it just being a one-off, one-beat thing before they go somewhere else to this huge bit of intrigue that they're about to stumble into. Um, And they've they've got pieces of, and it's ready for them. Um, But it's all all came out of nothing when that session went went haywire.
0: So that's, yeah, that's something I'm really interested in, too, because it seems like with... A more conventional video game and even a more conventional rpg video game one is a willing to accept the constraints of the game and the story and the fate of it precisely because they are already laid out for one it's less work but something you said about that's crucial about this game is the social aspect is the fact that it brings people together into a space in order to do something that you know, brings them so much pleasure that they're so motivated to do to do that they'll pay for, they'll spend time doing, they'll spend time preparing for. And so I just want to understand, what is it that you think it is about Dungeons and Dragons that makes it so pro-social? What is it about it that draws people in and keeps them coming back?
2: It's just so unexpected. You know, it's never the same thing two nights in a row. It like you said, with the you know, accepting constraints in a video game, you know we're all used to running into invisible walls and going, "Oh, you know that's not an area I can get to you know even something like Breath of the Wild, you can get to the end of the map and not be able to go any further you know the The, the walls eventually do close in around you uh, in d and d the walls are there. you know I can make characters suggest that things are not good ideas and that people shouldn't go certain places. Uh, But if they're persistent enough or if they roll well enough, those walls, you know, just by definition start to become malleable and you can break through them Um, and you can go off into, you know, minus one world or uh, unprogrammed territory, as it were. Um, You know, the people I play with, we always have, you know, things we didn't quite expect happen to us. Um, We always end up, you know, having to break character and laugh just because of some of the ridiculous things we do. Um, you never quite know what's going to happen when you sit down at the table and start rolling dice, because despite your best intentions, even if you're all working together for something, you know, the the dice may mess with you one night. Um, You know, I, I I never know what's going to happen when I start playing. The last time I, I sat down and played, we took care of a bunch of shadow monsters, no problem. And then due to some bad rolls, I ended up being cursed by a small bird and having to, you know, knock it out of the air with my battle axe like a baseball bat because we were rolling for just, oh God, it was terrible. <laughs> um, it was, it was a ton of fun, but none of us could catch a break. Um, you know, the first session we, one of our players accidentally blew up a, uh, a large caravan full of dynamite that the rest of the party happened to be slowly trying to break into and we have not let them forget it. And it is still just one of the funniest things. Um, you know, everyone sitting down at a table and just absolutely being surprised every time you play. The sense of wonder in D&D never really goes away. Um, you know, if I go back and play old video games, they're still a ton of fun, but I know where the story is going and I know which parts are coming. Um, even with RPGs, you know, if you take a different path, you kind of get where the story's going to end up. Um, with D&D that's never true it's it's always something unexpected around the corner even if where you end up is where you want to go how you get there is <laughs> it is a matter of luck and chance and there's no way to script it
1: that so where is it that you want to go i guess does the game end at a certain point is there a uh, like a win um Condition is that the term for it, or, or is it sort of like we were tired of this one, or we all died because the train blew up? You know, the dynamite blew us up, so we got to start over.
2: <laughs> How's it work? Um, I mean, any of the above. The you know to, to keep using our Ravenloft campaign as an example, the the technical end of it is when we kill Count Strahd, the the big bad at the end. But we could conceivably you know keep the same characters, say we like the party we have, and keep going and find a new adventure somewhere else and keep playing. Um, you know, there it would. We can keep going as long as we want. Or, or if, uh, because Ravenloft tends to be pretty brutal, the further you get into it, we end up in a total party kill. You know, we can either say we're going somewhere else, or all roll new characters and have our DM go, "Oh yeah, there was another adventuring party there right behind you," <laughs> and we have to step into their roles. Um, you know, a, a campaign really only ends when everyone decides it's over, or you know, in the more likely, least that case, no one can organize eight cats to you know into a herd to play on a weekly basis um the win condition in D, you know you can finish a quest but i i think winning D is more of a i had fun tonight sort of thing than a i have reached the end of the game and can now buy something else at gamestop
1: right on and yeah go ahead alex yeah
2: no 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 i am just i i i this is probably
0: what you lit on too Wes. maybe not but it's it's, it's cool that it is a practice-based game rather than sort of a theory-based one, that what you care about is the practice of it and not the, in the end, seems to be having a good time and getting together and sharing in that sort of stone suit situation um, rather than where it is you get to. But the where you get to is always the same and that it is an unexpected place, new territory with this group of people. And so that seems to be what makes it fun. But I also wanted to ask you about the mythology behind the game.
2: Mm-hmm. What,
0: what is the great fight? Is there a great fight between good and evil? And I understand there's also that sort of like medieval, um, I mean, obviously I grew up seeing this game around and understand that it, it's full of dragons and mm-hmm. or I would like you to describe uh, sort of the mythology behind it and the mythical creatures and what is sort of the underlying story or ethos that brings you together on this epic quest, uh, regardless of the specific quests. That
2: you find yourselves in, or is there one uh, it 's not even the is there one it's there are many um, you know through different rule sets and different worlds you know there are there 's different pantheons of gods there 's different legends there 's different races who all have their own thing um, when they first started playing i th- i 'm probably going to get this wrong, but I believe it was Greyhawk that they started playing and it was the name of the world and you know, there was a homebrew campaign years later that someone made called Forgotten Realms. And it became such a big thing um, that it was officially adopted into canon as a new world people could play in. And there's, you know, there's dozens upon dozens of books and whatnot that take place there. Um, you know, if you've ever heard of the character Drist do the, the the drow elf. Um, yes, yes. He, two uh, or right.
0: three books about him.
2: All right salvatore, yep, uh, Forgotten Realms was entirely a homebrew campaign outside the realms of official d and d and it just became such a big popular thing that you know they they accepted it into official Canon. Um, you know it you know critical role is an entirely homebrew world that you know Matthew Mercer has helped create with his players um, it you know there there are things that jump from from game to game you know you know you can pick you know, a pantheon that's been around forever and put it into your world. Um So, you know, something like, you know, Bahamut the Silver Dragon is the Lord of Justice and things like that. And his, you know, eternal opposite is Tiamat, the five-headed, you know, mother of dragons and chaos. Um It, it depends on, you know, what story you want to tell and where you want to go, who the, uh you know, what your creation myth is and who the big bad is. Um You know, my homebrew campaign has you know, I, because I am one of those people has, you know, thousands of years of backstory and history that I've got lightly sketched out that I know, um, you know, my players only know as much as their characters would. And there are things in the world that they can go to and learn and find new things. If that's something they want to hunt down. Um, or, you know, if one day we decide to buy another book off the shelf, um, and do, you know, dragon heist or dungeon of the mad mage, um, it will have, you know, a different mythos built in of, you know, famous characters and epic stories. Um, so it it's another thing that's always changing depending on what you end up playing.
1: Yeah, that, I think that was the question I was curious about was also like, how you guys decide um, what to play or, or what to, I guess the the community that you've created is, kind of a pre-existing one it sounds like you know these people from before um but how, how did you guys get together and do you do some like proselytizing like to bring in some new players once in a while do you do you have to like teach people and like uh kind of show them what this thing is do you have maybe ambitions to to craft a story that other people other groups would use at some point and and how do you go about sort of sharing that um what what's some more of this kind of social dynamic could you sketch out?
2: Yeah, that's, you know, that that's something that, you know, the internet and technology and just making ease of communication such a huge thing, I think, has really helped the boom with D&D. Um, with my group, uh, like I said, we started watching a stream of um, a show called Critical Role, which is a bunch of voice actors that play D&D, uh, and it's an entirely homebrew campaign, and they're phenomenal, and we all got the bug and, you know, we all work in a bookstore. So we picked up the books and looked at a bunch of the different pre-made adventures. Um, and the Ravenloft campaign, which is called curse of Strahd sounded extraordinarily fun to us. So we all went, let's do that one next. Um, and then when we finished, they've, they released a new book last year called dragon heist that we're all really excited to get into that. We've all, kind of decided who and what we're gonna be playing in that one next. Um, you know, there there is a, a bit of a barrier for entry, you know, but it's, it's nowhere near as high as, you know, hesitant players might think it is. Um, you know, I always looked at those books and the character sheets and I just went, that is, there is just so much going on there at once. How does anyone ever figure out how to play this? And, you know, then you sit down with the books for an hour or with someone who's played before and you realize, you know, I really never have to count past 25. Um, why, why did I ever think this was so difficult? There's, there's a lot of moving pieces, but once you figure out, you know, once you've played once or twice or you've had someone who knows show you, it's, it's really not a difficult game to learn. Um, and because we all got so into it and, you know, so excited, you know, we would see people looking at the books on the shelves and, you know, tell them how great it was and how much fun it was to start playing. Um, to the point where we started, between me and the DM of my other campaign, um, you know, we both work at the store, we started running a workshop. And we had people come in, you know, that were six, eight, 10 with their parents just looking to figure out if it was something they'd want to do. And, you know, we'd have people in their their 40s and 50s going, yeah, I played a lot back in the day and I'm looking to get back into it and learn the new rules. Um, You know, to the point where we were running a group of you know, 30 people trying to get them all, all set and ready. And it's, it's thrilling to play on your own, but there's, it's so cool to watch a bunch of people get so into it and into their characters um, and, and little kids just running away with their imaginations and, and starting their own thing. Um, and I, I think that's where a lot of the community comes into it. You know, when we were all younger, You know, the internet wasn't a thing or was just starting to be a thing. Um, And if you didn't have five or six friends that wanted to do the same thing as you, you were kind of out of luck. But, you know, now with things like Twitch and Roll20 and a lot of the open source rules being available online, you know, one of my coworkers at the store had a campaign for a while where uh, she was the only people person in her state that was in her campaign. You know, there was someone on the East Coast, someone on the West Coast. I think someone in the UK and someone in Australia that was, you know, her party. um, And I'm sure time zones had to be incredibly difficult to manage. But, you know, they got a game going with people they never would have otherwise met without ease of communication and, you know, such a voracious group of people who wanted to play this incredible game.
0: So, Andy... That makes me wonder because it sounds like the mythology is progressive and ongoing and sometimes takes interesting tangents based on whether it's made by the game developers in book form or sort of takes on a life of its own by the fans. And it seems as if both those points of entry, as long as it's fun and coherent, um, seem to be acceptable to the base and, and the sort of, I guess you might say, the, uh, the, the standing business that produces the games. And so what I'm sort of wondering is where does the game itself, where does Dungeons and Dragons exist? Is it in the hands of say, uh, is it Blizzard that distributes uh, goods? I know it does uh, War, Warhammer. I'm not sure if they, uh, they have the rights to Dungeons and Dragons. I,
2: I'd be interested. To uh, that's that. Wizards of the Coast. Wizards Has of the, the Coast. West. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do they still distribute that magazine that tells the values of specific magic cards and things like that? I recall that. Oh young. goodness,
2: I do not know anymore. Wow, I would have to check on that. I
0: know, wow, that used to be uh, a big deal to oh, me. Oh man, memory uh, lane. But yeah, yeah, for sure. That might have been the best question I, I asked the whole time, but where does the game exist? Is it with the players? Is it with the game developers? Is it somewhere in the middle? And I, even just a more advanced version of that question, is this game a virtual reality game or just a game? As in, does it exist in a virtual space? or just in actual space, like baseball or hockey, as opposed to, say, Final Fantasy VII, which is on the screen?
2: Oh, God. Everywhere nowadays. Everywhere and everyone. Um, You know, Wizards is really cool. The the base rules for Dungeons & Dragons are available legally, open source, for free, online. It doesn't have everything the books has, you know if you if you want to get more in-depth and have more choice and more options and more story you definitely go through the books um but you know if you if you're not sure and you don't want to yet pay fifty dollars for a book you know you can go to wizard site and download the open source beginning rules and start playing or you can buy their starter set which has you know pre-made characters dice and adventure for low-level players ready to go out of the box for 20 bucks um and then there's just incredible communities that share homebrew stuff. Um, you know, if you go to someplace like Drive Through RPG or or D and Beyond or Roll Twenty, um, you can find just thousands and thousands of you know new characters, new stories, new items. It's um, just a never-ending, infinite amount of content um, that's designed by them and and the the people who make D and um, They're as far as I've seen in the community, so behind that. And they love to see people playing. Um, I don't know if he's still the head developer for it, but I know he's high up there. There's a guy named Christopher Perkins, who uh, is an incredible DM and loves to see people playing. Um, he ran a game for a long time with the guys at Penny Arcade called Acquisitions Incorporated. And I believe he's just recently stepped down for another, D&D, uh, another DM to step up. Um, it's such, you know, it's always going to be a business because it, you know, it makes money. There's so many cool things with it. Um, you know, I'm sitting next to a collection of D and minis that is probably worth far too much money that I've spent on them. Um, but it's definitely worth it. Um, and you know, you can play campaigns, you know, we do the, the tabletop, we have a grid, we have maps, people make, you know, three-dimensional, um, you know, Sorry, people make you know three-dimensional maps for them and pieces that you can put together, or you can play online and you know they do have digital grids and digital things where I you know I can log in with anyone and you know my my you know whoever the DM is will move things around on a screen on their computer and I'll see it move on mine. You know it's it's not high fidelity graphics; it's just you know images on a on a grid board, but it you know it, it can be anywhere. There's there's D and D board games, there's books, there's you know, there there's everything D and D. It is it has exploded. It is everywhere.
1: The uh what's the kind of outcome of all this then? Um what do you see coming in the future as sort of more of the maybe things made by by people reach one another without necessarily going through the uh the company, uh Wizards of the Coast or or its, you know, affiliates? Um is this is this going to be something that they continue to innovate and they sort of stay a step ahead? Is it something that you think is going to change as technology continues to uh, rapidly, you know, permeate everywhere? Is it going to be something that does kind of go away from the tabletop and goes onto the the tablet or the smartphone or whatever the the, the screen, the ubiquitous screen? screen? Um, or, or what do you think will, will will kind of play out as we go, you know, down the line here?
2: You know, I think it's like books and eBooks, you know, eBooks are a thing that everyone, you know, not everyone, but a lot of people were very against because, you know, oh, they're going to kill books or nothing's the same as a real book. And, and they're right. Nothing's the same as a real book, but, you know, eBooks put reading into the hands of people that had never owned a book before who would, you know, never wanted to carry one around and it. You know, books are never going to go anywhere. You know, their sales are, their sales are up versus, you know, before eBooks existed, I think. Um, and I think it'll be the same thing with D&D. You know, it, it's great to see it, you know, go on to the computer and tablets and phones in that. Um, you know, I definitely know for my, a lot of my characters, I, I have a spell book on my phone, so I don't have to flip through my book every time I'm looking for my specific spells. Um, you know, and I can Google a rule if I don't wanna, you know, break flow of the game to get one specific thing that I don't wanna make a judgment call on or don't feel comfortable making a judgment call on. And it's introduced so many more people to it. And then at the same time, there's just something about sitting around a table, you know, with five or six of your friends or even just people you've never met before. And, you know, doing it together and doing it live. It, it's something where I think there's definitely room for both of them to coexist and to make each other better um, and to get more people playing than ever before. Um, You know, I, it just grows bigger every time I look at it, and I, I hope it never stops growing.
0: So what is it, since you've started playing, that you've learned about yourself that you didn't know before?
2: Oh, man. <laughs> um, Oh, boy. <laughs> that I am a goody two-shoes. Um, I am definitely never the character who is ready and willing to go rogue and go evil on the table. Um, I'm always the, the voice of reason in the background who is uh, going, you know, maybe we, we shouldn't kill our own party member just because the priests want to give us something cool in return for that. Maybe, maybe we should think that one through. Um, you know, that I, I have a ridiculous, incredible group of friends who are willing to be just as off the walls and completely not caring about how they look sound or act at the table um, if it contributes to the fun um, you know I, I see how much work goes into it I've you know if I open my d folder on my computer right now or you know go pick up in my binder I've I've probably got dozens if not hundreds of pages of stuff I've tried to put together for players or notes I've taken in other campaigns it oh it, it's such an you know an incredible creative thing that if you if you are a creative person and you you know you need something different or you're not doing your own thing whether that's you know writing or podcasting or shooting movies or whatever um often enough it's such a great creative valve Um, and i you know it's something that if you go through it it, it's i hate to use the word addiction because that has all sorts of negative connotation but It's definitely something where if you go weeks without it you know you get twitchy sometimes you can look at your friends and go you know we we need to find a day because i'm losing my mind without having played a day in this campaign in this world because it's it's just so unlike anything i've ever done before you know i've you know i've been a gamer since i was a little kid i've got hundreds of books you know it i love these things and you know, some of them have think, certain things on D&D. You know, there's they, they cater to a different creative part of me or a different part of me that loves stories. But there is nothing that is quite like what D&D can do. Um, I, you know, I love putting homebrew content out there now because I've used so much from, from other people that I found on you know on Tumblr or whatever D&D website. Um, and it's great putting something out there or teaching other people. Um, I never thought I'd, I'd enjoy teaching other people so much as I do and getting them hooked on the game and kids or parents come back and tell me about their sessions at the store. And it, it's, it's just so cool to be part of this legacy that's, you know, passing on to a new generation now and to, to just have one small bit of it, you know, be something that's passed through mine in my friend's hands is, is unreal.
1: Man, that is wonderful. That. So that teaching thing was going to be my last question here before I let you go, and maybe Alex has got something to, to close with, but um, what about the, the role of this in, a, in an educational setting? Do you, do you see this as something that could work well for kids who otherwise are not about school? You know, do, do they learn some kind of concrete skills, or, or could things like that be incorporated uh, skillfully so they don't really notice it, but that they're, you know, learning to read and to, to cooperate with one another and, and that sort of thing. Is that something that's maybe already out there? I'm sure people have already thought about this.
2: 100%. Um, you know, I, I definitely know people that, you know, there are schools that run D&D clubs. Um, you know, there are teachers that use it in the classroom. at, you know, basic math and reading comprehension and critical thinking and cooperation and confidence. You know, D&D will teach you all those things. Um, you might not pick up on it but it's there you know it it's not necessarily fun to sit down and add numbers together on paper but when you're rolling dice and you know whatever math you come up with could be the difference between you know getting your skull your character's skull caved in or beating the dragon and finding his treasure math suddenly is very exciting um or when you're stuck on a puzzle or a trap or something and you have to work together And talk it out with your friends and look at problems from a different direction that is such an applicable skill for people that that i love to see people develop to you know to look at things and not know a solution or even necessarily the correct way to a solution and they'll find their own way to it um and even if you don't use an accent or something just talking up in front of your friends or strangers and you know, making your voice heard in the group is such a confidence booster for people. Um, you know, there were definitely people who even just came to the games and, you know, I, I have kids that will just say, you know, I attack this, I attack this. And it's it's the very cute, stereotypical little kid. And then I, you know, there, there was a session early on where the party I was running was, you know, again, made up of kids and adults and everyone. And they had waylaid one of my characters this, this rogue bandit and they were trying to get information out of him and most people went for you know oh we should use magic on him or oh we should torture him uh, you know you know, threaten to break his bones all, all that kind of things and this little eight year old girl sitting in her dad's lap went you should scratch his arms and threaten to cut off his hair and everyone at the <laughs> table kind of stared at her anew like did that just come out of small tiny adorable child and she had this big grin on her face and the dad behind her just could not have looked more proud (laughs) and that was what they eventually ended up going with and I you know I I tried to stay in character to not ruin it for them and I'm just like must play the part of the orc must not you know explode into gleeful laughter at these at the ideas these people come up with um you know, and I very much doubt if you put that little eight year old girl in front of a bunch of people and just asked her, you know, any other kind of question, you know, who knows if she would have spoken up, she was having fun. She, you know, it, it was it was absolutely an incredible moment. And I, I love that it, it is propagating to education and, and not being seen as just a game and not being seen as, you know, something just weird people who live in their parents' basements do. Um, it is something that everyone, you know no matter what background can get into and love and find something unique about it to their tastes um that was one of the weirdest things the first time we played going you know you know if you break a rule in certain games or you try to do something in a video game sometimes it just doesn't work or it doesn't let you happen or you take a penalty because you've broken a rule there's no one to do that to you in dnd if your dm is you know someone who understands and goes along with you there are there, there are rules and guidelines and suggestions and you can take it wherever you want. Um, you know, it, there are hundreds of pages in those rule books, but, you know, if only 10 pages of those apply to you, make up the rest as you go and have fun. That's, it's, it was such a weird and freeing thing to realize that if we didn't have the rules 100% memorized and we all just went with it and agreed on things, that was valid d d and that's how we played.
0: Yeah, and that seems to be be the going theory for how Wes and I believe sort of reality works between people in social communities. And so it's very interesting to hear you say it that way. And I I think that is a great question to end on. But I want to see if I can impose, speaking of constraints, impose one major constraint on you and see if you can overcome this or if we're going to just end with sort of a fatality and a... uh, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6 cascading series of numbers <laughs> with, with a warning that we need to pump some more change into the machine. But you're making me understand that there are things more valuable or at least also valuable alongside actual wealth and capital. And it's like so so many people spend so much of their time producing capital and like money and during the course of their day. That's what a lot of work mm-hmm. is, producing goods. Yeah. This this seems to be like a, a whole nother sort of effort, like sort of a, a moonlight effort where one embodies a story where uh, one one invests one's time invests one's time and energy with other people in order to produce something else. Not mm-hmm. not an actual, not you know, like not like money, but it does seem to be something of utmost value. And I just wanted to know in maybe two words what you thought that was.
2: I'm going to cheat and use a few more words, but I'll say mm-hmm. an experience that's good for the soul. Yes. It, you know, it, we, and you're right, we do spend so much of our time and so much of our lives talking about, you know, money and jobs and wealth and things. And those are, of course, important because we would all like roofs over our, our head and food to eat. And, you know, there the are things we all have to worry about. It's, you know, it's for, for the moment, it's how life works. But to make those the only thing, is is just not any way to live a life you know some more some people have to worry about it more than others i get that and i am one of those people you know i you know we all work long weeks and if you can find any time you know to do something that's good for the soul whether it's you know picking up a guitar or you know reading a book or watching a movie you know it, there has to be something more there's there's this old star trek quote i really really love. Um, that's been, you know, adapted into a bunch of books and all around, it's because survival is insufficient. Um, you know, it's, it is not all we're meant to do. And D&D is this weird, wonderful, strange thing that you can do amazing things. in. you know, you can go beat the dragon or, hey, you can go befriend the dragon. Um, and you can walk away from the table having experienced something that is, you know, yes, not real, but the experience you have and the feeling you get from it absolutely is. Um, and it's something different for everyone, but it, it is such an incredible thing uh, that, that I think really does give meaning to what you do. Uh, and I, I think if I asked any of my players that, or if you, you know, pulled aside most D&D players, if they didn't put it in so many words, they would at least know what you were talking about.
0: I, wow. Go on, Wes.
2: Yeah,
1: thanks for, thanks for sharing this time with us and uh, teaching us to speak some of this language, because it's, it's very new to us. As you can see, we're, we're not uh, quite hip with it just yet, but um, I think I'm sold. I mean, I'm in a, I'm going to go down to the game store. There's a bookstore game store in my town. That's like uh, right next to each other. They're owned by the same people and start hanging around there and learning the ways of the, of the tabletop RPG here.
2: Oh, absolutely.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep. Pick up the player's
2: handbook. download some character sheets, start rolling dice. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, thank you very much for your time. It's been a, this has been a wonderful conversation. We do a lot of these. So thank you very much. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of people that are interested in these sorts of games and the crossover between these games and video games and sort of like how people can develop during the course of their lives and how their relationships with these games and with other people develop. And I think there is an emergency and emerging desire for people to sort of make sense of what it is we're doing when we get together and do this sort of thing. And so it's been great to have you on.
2: It's been great to talk to you guys. Thanks so much for having me on.
1: Okay. Till next time, Alex. Till next time, Wes.